Chris Gelser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of the first round, Matt's movie advent calendar lights its second to last candle, folks, as we are one week away from Spider-Man No Way Home. To hold Matt over, though, we're going to be discussing a film from his favorite genre, musicals. It's West Side Story from the man who does not miss, Steven Spielberg. Is now just the right time, Matt, to unleash upon the world a romantic, dramatic tragedy about potential irreconcilable conflicts between two groups? Can they possibly put their differences aside in the name of love? And can we? And to ease tensions and settle in on a cold, wintry night with a few old friends, we decided to watch Black Friday, a metafilm about the evils of consumerism side of the holidays. There's the heartwarming rundown of the big releases on physical media, featuring your straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. And then Matt and I are going to wrap up the big show by sharing our five favorite Steven Spielberg films. But first up, let's hear a clip from West Side Story. Tonight, tonight, the world is full of light. This is my first time in New York City. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life at home. Tonight, tonight. Are you ready? Tonight is about family. The first gringo boy who smiles at you. I never seen you before. You're not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? Matt, I know you've been looking forward to this one. You love your musicals. <laughs> so there are a few things as dependable as Steven Spielberg when it comes to delivering just quality filmmaking, Matt. The man simply does not miss. So does he? Deliver quality filmmaking? Well, does he miss this time? What are your thoughts on West Side Story? Is this the heart-rousing, warming kind of... Well, listen, as we all know, and if you're, for the uninitiated, this, of course, is an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, first created as a stage play, then into a film in 1961 with Natalie Wood, of course, as Maria. Uh, but and now we have Spielberg's update to today. Uh, he grew up watching this film, Matt. It's one of his all-time favorites. His family had introduced it to him. He's always wanted to make a musical. He just couldn't really find the right project, and he realized West Side Story was the musical he should have made. And here we are. So does he miss this time? Is it another quality Spielberg entry? Is this top tier Spielberg? Where does this fall for you? All right. Well, that's a that's a bunch of loaded questions that have a bunch of different answers. So first, I'd like I'd like to uh, point out that Steven Spielberg, though he rarely misses, he can miss. Mm. The King, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull would definitely qualify as a miss what? for me. <laughs> yes, I, I would think AI as well as a as a pretty good miss with. Some interesting pieces, but it has it's a miss as well. But I digress. I personally think this is a film that looks gorgeous. I really respect what he brought to it um, and in kind of a modernity to it. But it also has a kind of a throwback feel. I can say it didn't win me over as a convert to musical or musical theaters. Honestly... You know, I did catch up with a little bit of the the original. I've seen I've seen about half of the original. 
and it's a lot it's got a lot of the same things that you know don't appeal to me i mean you've got a bunch of street gangs pirouetting through the streets um things like that and when i say pirouetting they're literally pirouetting um through the streets which is ridiculous to me i i respect it i think it's well done um but it's not for me that's too bad, man. I think that, first off, I think everything should be settled with a dance-off in some capacity. I mean, like, warring world powers. We bring in our best, they bring in their best, and then that's how we settle things. And I will say, too, I'm impressed by how light the traffic is in New York City, considering all the dancing that takes place within those mm-hmm. streets. But um, I I rather enjoyed this, man. I mean, clocking in at over two and a half hours, Right. The whole film still felt effortless to me and breezy. I think it was a kind of a thrilling, it was romantic, it's fun, it's heartbreaking. And I think the themes from 70 years ago are just as relevant today as they were back then. It should be 60, right? 19 Was it 51 or 61? It was 51, wasn't it? 61. So it's, it's yeah. 60 years, years ago then. Sorry about that. But still, I think the thing is, like you said, it's beautiful. And they shot in New York City. Right. And but it's it looks fantastic. I really think this thing is going to rack up nominations with the Oscars. Right. Set and costume design for sure. Direction. Absolutely. Picture. Sure. Rachel Zegler for best actress. Matt, we have a star. All right. I mean, this is a big moment for her. And I think things are only going to go up and get bigger for this young woman. She is fantastic in this. Rita Moreno, I think, will probably get a supporting nod, but part of me feels like that's more of a celebratory career nomination, right? Because the Academy loves doing that stuff. But I think part of it, what locks it in, is that they shift what, I, for me, is the big song in the production, which is Somewhere, and they give it to Moreno's character because it then becomes a larger song because i guess originally now i've never seen the original that did a lot of research and an anticipation of our show today but she doesn't sing the the original in fact her character is an amalgam of the doc character her valentina character an update and an an amalgam of some stuff so but by giving it to her the song the song has a wider appeal and applies to more of the events instead of it just being focused right on uh, tony and maria so I loved that decision. There's a couple of the things I thought was great, Matt, that they don't, Spielberg does not, and purposefully, does not subtitle the Spanish because he wants to, what is it? Basically, it's for us to, the non-Spanish speakers, kind of feel perhaps the marginalization that the Spanish community, the Puerto Rican community had when they first came to New York. And I love that decision. I know there's some rumblings online about that being a mistake, but I think it makes total sense and really works for the film. And there are enough context clues where you know exactly what they're saying, basically, right? So, I don't know, Matt. Lots of good stuff, I think, in here. There are, do have some issues which we can talk about, but what do you think? Am, am I off on this? I don't think so. I mean, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I think if you're a fan of this type of film, I think this is probably one of the better ones that have been made in a long, long time. I, I don't think you, you don't really see films like this anymore. So if this is your thing, yeah, I think you're really going to like this. I think if you're even adjacent, even if you like only a few things in musical theater, I think you're going to like this. Yeah, I honestly, I didn't find the, the non-Spanish subtitles jarring at all. You know, I wasn't looking for them. Um, I didn't feel like I missed anything. Yeah, I, I altogether, I thought it was, you know, for what it is, I thought it was a it was a, a great outing. So what is 
your issue? What is your contention with musicals generally? Just how unrealistic air quotes they are that people just wouldn't just typically break out in song. I guess I just don't. The idea of telling a story through dance and song doesn't connect with me. Like all I can, I can't seem to get on the same wavelength as, you know, what's going on in the film or on the the stage. You know, I personally would much rather it be told through dialogue. It, it just always seems hokey to me. And I mean, it's not even that I don't like music and film. I mean, I thought Baby Driver was great, but that's not necessarily a traditional musical. I don't know. Because I think if you just go back just throughout history, even pre-film, people were telling stories through song and dance from the beginning of our time, basically. Yeah, so. I mean, I completely acknowledge that, but I don't like opera either. Like, I don't like ballet. <laughs> like, I mean, those are all kind of those same kind of storytelling things where I respect it, but I'm not going to go out of my way to go watch it. Fair enough. Okay. So let's talk about a couple issues here. Um, though I will say, I think the first sight scene when Marie and Tony see each other at that, that mixer is just classic Spielberg. It's magical. Uh, it actually gave me a chill as everybody's dancing around them and they see each other from across the gym. Just wonderful, wonderful. But I wonder, now I, I guess I know the answer to my question because I know he has projects uh, in the works already. There's been a lot of issues with Ansel Egor. He has gotten into some trouble with some young ladies. That seems to kind of have just been ignored. And I bet you, for most people, Matt, they probably don't even know about it, right? There were some people calling for him to be kind of recast, reshot a la Kevin Spacey, right? The, with Christopher Plummer. But I think one of the good things about the film, basically, is that Egger is, for me, is almost a non-presence. He's the lead in this film, but you feel almost no connection with him at all. He's like just this generic stand-in white guy in this film. And when I think about seeing him and other stuff, maybe outside Baby Driver, but I have not been overly impressed with him at all. I mean, you look at a guy like Mike Face, right, who plays Riff. His, that's an actor that demands your attention. Same with David Alvarez as Bernardo. Um, but Tony here just seems to be there to trigger events, to make things set things in motion. And I don't. I just felt like he was a real non-presence in this film, which maybe I think helps considering the controversy he's been experiencing. What do you think of Edgar? I wasn't particularly impressed with him. I liked him in Baby Driver. I know he gets these type of roles because he's known as being kind of like this dancer, singer, you know, musical theater background kind of thing. And I think you're right. I think he's very milk toast. He's very bland in this. He's like a cipher, really. You know, one of the big knocks against the film if there is one is that you know the relationship between these two people is not particularly compelling i mean and it's not something we haven't seen many times before and i think ansel Egort is just kind of boring in it i'm only i'm aware of the controversy i'm not aware of a lot of the details of it um so i don't know how serious a lot of it is but you're right it does seem to kind of have drifted into the background and hell I think he's still, Edgar Wright's still planning on making a baby driver too with him. So it's, you know, even after all this stuff has come out. So I don't know. I, I really don't know if it like was proven false or what. I'm not sure. But again, yeah, I'm supposedly not super he was with like it. grooming uh, a young woman. He was 20 and she was 17 at the time, which mm -hmm. isn't 2014. 
yeah. but she's still a child. And I think there are also issues involving some type of I just look into it, folks. It's some okay. of it's pretty weird. You can yeah. just kind of Google it and uh, you can see yeah. What goes well, on I mean, there. here's the thing. I mean, if he was 20 and 17, yeah, it's a little weird, but it may not have been illegal depending on what state he's in because that could have been the age of consent or. Interestingly enough, since we're talking about a remake of Romeo and Juliet, there are such things as Romeo and Juliet laws, where if you're within X amount of years of age, it's not illegal. True. No. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. I don't know. There's just there's some other stuff I remember reading too, but I just don't. It's just I don't know. I think this is the right show to get into that kind of stuff. <laughs> just not. Just look into it. Okay. Sure. No, I'm not. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying. Oh no, no. I maybe that's why he's still getting work. It's like maybe we find it unsavory, but it's nothing like it's not illegally wrong kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I also want to give a quick shout out to. I don't want to lose track of Ariana Debose, if I'm pronouncing that last name right. Who plays Anita, her friend, and of course a Bernardo's partner. Again, I think too another great turn. I think she is fantastic in this as well. I like basically almost everybody else is great right outside of Elgort, who just I don't, I don't understand what he's doing in this thing. And I always appreciate seeing Corey stall with a, a nice hairpiece. So it's always good to see Corey with some hair, even though it is a little unnatural. Uh, but it's got to look good, and I think they did a good job with this hairpiece in this one. So good for you, Corey. But uh, yeah, Matt, one question I have for you: This is not lit up the box office at all it cost 100 mil to make it's pulled in 16 so far and i don't see these box office receipts going up over the holidays not with some of the things we have coming i mean maybe but i don't know what's going on do you think is the movie going public muted i think as it is now just not interested in musicals anymore yeah i think that's very fair i mean it's not it's not a, a genre that is particularly relevant today. Um, it's a very niche audience, a passionate audience, but it's niche. It's a very old style of filmmaking, and you're making a film, essentially a straight-up remake of a 1960s property that's like a classic. Like, if somebody, if Spielberg went out and made a remake of Singing in the Rain, maybe one of the, you know, considered one of the greatest musicals ever, it wouldn't do a good amount of business. It's just not an exciting time. And look at what is popular, like Hamilton, right? And it's because it's a completely different style of musical. But In the Heights didn't do well either. Right. So, I mean, it's just, it's not... People who love musical theater think that everybody loves musical theater, but it's it, it's they don't, and that's it's just like any other kind of edge genre. Like horror fans think that horror has a huge wider appeal, and for the most part, it doesn't. And it's just the same type of thing. It's just people just got to realize that. Yeah, no, that's it's it's quite just. <laughs> The movie going public is, I guess, just kind of moved on from that. I think, again, there's still people are not really going out to theaters and droves like they have been, especially now with the Omicron virus, the the, the variant out there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's keeping some people away as well. I guess we'll see this weekend, right? Your big yeah. uh, film comes I mean, out. If, so. I mean, if people were trying to sell tickets to No Way Home on opening night for $20,000, I mean, <laughs> you know, I guess, I guess there's a big demand for that. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add about West Side Story, Matt? Yeah, I'm going to say this. I mean, I'm not going to give it a particularly high grade. It's like I said, but a musical theater is just not my thing, but I respect it. 
insofar as this is a w- very well-crafted film. It looks really good. And if this is your thing, I think you're really going to like it. So don't take my kind of underwhelming grade to as any kind of commentary necessarily on the film itself, just on how you feel about musical theater is going to really play into this. All right. So what are you giving it? I'm giving it a C. I actually started writing that right before you said it. I knew that was coming. <laughs> I'm giving West Side Story a B plus. I think it's well worth checking out. Even if you don't enjoy musicals, I think there's enough here to enjoy. I love, in fact, we were going to do a marathon of this at some point. Maybe we'll do it next year of, was it not quite, I don't know, offbeat Shakespeare adaptations? Oh, and yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, unconventional Shakespeare adaptations, I think is what we called it. Yeah, there you go. Maybe we'll do that next year. Of course, you know, Throne of Blood being one of my all-time favorite adaptations. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, I think, another one. Again, it's it's Spielberg. It's locked. You're going to enjoy it. It's fun-ish. And uh, really some standout performances, particularly by, I think we're going to say, super rising star, Rachel Zegler. B plus for me. What are your thoughts on West Side Story? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, December 21st. I have a really difficult decision to make because one of, is it one of my favorite films of the year? I guess you'll have to wait for that folks at some point in January, but I'm going back and forth on buying this when it comes out next week, because there was an audio commentary recorded for this film by the director and it's not included. It's missing, which tells me that there is a super special edition coming out at some point, probably next year. Well, that's not the first thing I thought you'd take off, but... Uh... Yeah. You seem like a man who's gagging for some action, Mr. Bond. Shall we cut to the chase? I'm here as a professional courtesy. Well, you're not very courteous, are you? You've broken my car. It's Commander Bond. You know that. Double O? Two years. Very young. High achiever. Oh, Jesus Christ. The world's moved on since you retired, Commander Bond. Perhaps you didn't notice. No, can't say I had. And in my humble opinion, the world doesn't change very much. You had to say that. Look, this all seems like heaven. This little bubble or whatever. <laughs> but it's so obvious you're a man who only has time to kill. Nothing to live for. Zavado Oprachev is off limits. You get in my way? I will put a bullet in your knee. Well, that's just rude. That's right, folks. No Time to Die is getting its physical media release. There's a 4K version. Now, there's a limited edition, Matt, with like a model Aston Martin, which basically is sold out like immediately, which is probably the one I would have grabbed. There's a steelbook from Best Buy, which is the UHD, the 4K. And then there's a special edition from Target that's got a 52-page mini book, but it's just a Blu-ray. And Walmart has a Saffin mask keychain. Big fans of Saffin out there. I guess, but again, that's only for the Blu-ray. And then right now, as we're recording this, Matt, the latest James Bond box set that has all the films up through Spectre is on sale for 70 bucks on Blu-ray. So I don't know if you wanted to, uh, if you're considering going and pulling the trigger on that. I know you're not the biggest Bond fan, but this is an opportunity for you to grab them all. Mm. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to buy it. I'm just, I'm not even going to tease you. No, I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> Fair enough. So you do get a Dolby Vision HDR presentation as well as a Dolby Atmos track on that 4K. Uh, Anatomy of a Scene, they break down the opening sequence. 
uh, keeping it real. They did a lot of practical action in this film, not a lot of special uh, digital effects, some production design featurettes. And then the, I haven't seen it yet, but I hear it's wonderful. 45 minute retrospective on Daniel Craig as James Bond is included, but only again on the 4K, not on the Blu-ray. And I will say, I really enjoyed No Time to Die. I think it's my favorite performance by Craig as Bond. I think he is great in this. He adds real depth to the character that we hadn't seen previously. And uh, yeah, I uh, liked it a lot. I don't remember. How did you fall on No Time to Die? You, you enjoyed it at least, right? Yeah, I enjoyed it well enough. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was okay. I thought it was a little long. I didn't think it was the strongest of the Craig films, but it was. It wasn't bad. I'll take it. Coming up as well is The Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark, that talks shows you how Tony kind of came up. Matt, I'll tell you, I have yet to watch an episode of Sopranos. Yeah, I watched Sopranos when it came out, and I have yet to catch up with this film. I hear it's not terribly good. Uh, no, so making of featurettes and deleted scenes included. Director, writer, and star Justin Chan features in Blue Bayou, also with Alicia Vikander. Chan plays a Korean-American man raised in Louisiana Bayou who works hard to make a life for his family, but must confront the ghosts of his past as he discovers that he could be deported from the only country he's ever called home. Hell hath no fury. Branded a traitor by our countryman, French national Marie Dargern, is rescued by American soldiers on one condition. To survive, she must lead them to a cache of gold hunted by the Nazis, the French resistance, and the Americans alike. You know, I always said cache, but it's cache. Right? This doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're two different things, right? Like a cash. When I think of a cash, I think of like, you know, a, a storage of guns. Like you squirrel away. Like cache, I think is like influence kind of thing. Right? Hmm. Clearly, I don't know. <laughs> uh, what else is coming up here? A new to Blu-ray. Scream Factory is releasing The Vampire Lovers. This is the uh, British film with Ingrid Pitt, George Cole, and Peter Cushing. Brand new 4K restoration on that one, as well as some uh, new audio commentaries and making a feature rights and more. Shout Factory is releasing a bunch of stuff, really. A No Way to Treat a Lady starring Rod Steiger, Lee Remick, and George Siegel. New audio commentary on that. Lady in a Cage featuring Olivia de Havilland. Trog, which I think I may have talked about the other week. It must have been pushed back. This is the uh, final film for Joan Crawford. Gets a 2K restoration. Matt, the film detectives are releasing the Sherlock Holmes Vault, which is four classic mysteries, all beautifully restored with exclusive special features for this particular collection. It's The Fatal Hour from 1931, A Study in Scarlet from 1933, The Triumph of Sherlock Holmes from 35, and Silver Blaze from 37. Now, this is all pre-Basil Rathbone, folks. They're going to have a bunch of people you may not be familiar with. These are films from the 30s. So manage your expectations on that picture quality. It's only going to look so good. It's not like they have the master, you know, film reels on this. But I'm curious, Matt, do you have a favorite Sherlock Holmes? No, I don't because I've never seen any of those. You haven't seen, wait, wait, just generally, you've never seen a Sherlock Holmes property. Like not any of those classic ones. No, no, I'm talking, I'm going wider. Rathbone, Jeremy Brett, Robert Downey Jr. Even. The Cumber, the Cumberbatch ones. Yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty good show. I didn't particularly love RDJ's and Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes. I thought it was a little, uh, well, stupid if I'm being honest. But uh, you know, he can he can be interesting. It just has to be done well. Yeah, I think for me, the one I grew up watching the Basil Rathbone films on, uh, yeah. on I think maybe Channel Fifty Six or Thirty Eight. 
maybe back in the day. That's how old I am, folks. But I think in the end, my real formative early teens, my dad and I would watch the Granada show with Jeremy Brett, which I think was on PBS. And I loved all of those. They are so good. So for me, I think the definitive Sherlock Holmes is Jeremy Brett. There's also the SOV six-pack, Matt. Of course, SOV is shot on video. Between September of 91 and March of 92, producer J.R. Bookwalter, uh, who did The Dead Next Door, embarked on The Impossible, Matt. He wrote, shot, edited, and delivered six shot-on-video features in just seven months. With budgets of $2,500 or less each, the horror, sci-fi, thriller, and comedy movies were commissioned two at a time by executive producer David Dakota, who uh, was responsible for Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolorama, for release on his fledgling cinema home video label, sold through unique stand-ups who shared video store rental profits with the distributor. So that's kind of there's a the heart of some of these video stores when they first kind of really started was getting these SOV films in because they were cheap and they could turn them around and rent them as well. They were a quick kind of profit maker for the video stores. Eventually they fell out though as more studios started to embrace the home video market and started making things cheaper. But the films included in this box set matter Kingdom of the Vampire, Zombie Cop, Chick Boxer, Maximum Impact, Galaxy of the Dinosaurs, and Humanoids from Atlantis. Uh, all on Blu-ray, also including CD soundtracks and digital downloads. So if you love your SOVs, folks, this may be a box set for you. And then finally, Matt, your Street to DVD pick of the week. The carnage continues. This time, it's Fortress. A group of criminals hell-bent on revenge take over a resort for retired intelligence officers, forcing an ex-spy and his son to save the day. Featuring the talents of Jesse Metcalf, Chad Michael Murray, Shannon Doherty, and of course, Bruce Willis. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Are you upset that spooky season is over? Are you annoyed that you have to deal with uh, happy holidays and all kinds of Christmas good cheer? Well, fear not. Shudder has you covered with their Unhappy Holidays collection. You can watch the original 1974 classic Black Christmas as well as the less classic Silent Night, Deadly Night, all of them, <laughs> including the absolute famous Garbage Day, which is there for you. And a few other things. They have a ghoul log, if you want to put that on the TV instead of your usual Yule log. They have a creep show holiday special and rare exports, a kind of fun video uh, film that I remember from when I was a kid. So get out there and watch that stuff. If you're just really tired of, of Christmas vacation and the Christmas story and Scrooge, and you want something even more misanthropic for your holidays. Garbage day. There you go. Nice. Ah, uh, I love me some Black Christmas, some Silent Night, Deadly Night. I haven't watched part two. Uh, is part three on there or no? It says the entire series is on there. Wow. Part three yeah. has been like unavailable forever. Yeah. That is awesome. I'm going to have to check that out then. All right. I was all set to watch Black Christmas. Actually, I wanted to watch the original Nightmare Alley because Del Toro's film's coming out because the original's on uh, Criterion. Okay. But I don't know. I may have to work these in. I've also been watching the Matrix films. I watched part two, Matt, but uh, then I realized I was supposed to watch the Animatrix first, right? Which I've never seen before the yeah. sequels. So I'm going to try and work that in. See, I, I'm just not going to sleep. That's the plan. I'm not going to sleep. There you go. I'm doing a guest spot tonight on Cheap Seat Reviews Ooh. talking about Ghostbusters 2. 
Oh. So you'll be able to see that uh, at some point soon. Man, I got to tell you, revisiting that was... <sighs> Good times. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so coming up next, though, Matt. So we've had some issues here with our interns. They had set up our schedule and said that Don't Look Up was going to be out this week. And it's not. It's actually not coming out until December 20, what, 4th, I think, on Netflix. And then my notes from this episode were all lost at some point, too. So we had to fire another intern, unfortunately. I know it's the holidays, but sometimes, you know, you just got to, things you have to do. You have to take care of it. You got to bite the bullet, Matt. You got to pull the trigger. There's nothing you can do. So just to make it up to you, to me, and to Matt, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about Black Friday. Happy Black Friday. We love toys. Some quick notes before we open our doors. Uh, first off, <coughs> from OSHA, uh, statistically, when it comes to retail, there's no day more harmful to retail workers than this day. Remember, OSHA changed their rules after somebody was trampled to death. So look out for each other, okay? Also, uh, Dower Dennis has been recalled, so if anybody asked for it, we don't have it. We never had it. Some safety issue with battery. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing well. Doing well. Doing, doing, well, doing well. Doing well. Doing well. I'm, 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 finally, um, corporate has contacted me to inform you that they will not be able to offer paid breaks tonight. Thank you for your understanding. <laughs> we do love that voice, Matt. That, of course, is the living legend that is Bruce Campbell. Also appears with Michael J. White. Ivana Becquero. Matt, when I realized who she was, I got all excited and I got very, very sad because of how <laughs> old I am now. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Devin Sawa, another blast from the past, show up in Black Friday. So they all work at a toy store, Matt, and something's happening to the customers. They're transforming and melding and becoming these grotesque things and it's up to our shop employees to try and survive the night and escape. Matt, I love me a kind of a B horror film. You're good for some, you can do some right fun stuff, some schlocky stuff. You anticipate some bad dialogue, some dodgy effects. But in the end, you're still going to have a good time. So what are your thoughts on Black Friday? Is it just another great kind of holiday horror B movie? Or just a kind of choppy, as we said, dodgy effects ridden mess? I mean, I... I think you summed it up pretty well. I mean, I think this is a quintessential B movie. You have some kind of uh, your classic B movie actors and Bruce Campbell and I'm sorry to say it, Michael J. White. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got some very dodgy effects, although some of them are not too bad as far yeah. as some of the makeup effects go. Um, you've got some ridiculous performances and some gore. I think... If this is your thing, like, I think this is a pretty good solid uh, entry into the B-movie canon. And I can see people who have to work retail, like on Black Friday and Thanksgiving and stuff, like this becoming like some guilty pleasure for them, um, you know, fantasizing about killing the the uh, customers. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because the film, Matt, and I, I know I mentioned this in the opening, but I think it's true. It, it does kind of have this meta narrative about how consumerism corrupts, you know, our very souls. And turns us into these monsters and in this film, literally. And then actually at one point, kind of creating a mass behemoth representing kind of those Black Friday crowds, right? And mm -hmm. the consumerism, commercialism of the holiday. Now, 
Does it get a little heavy-handed with that stuff? Yeah, yeah, sure. And there are some dodgy effects at times, but like you said, there are some effects that look really good. I think the creature designs are solid. Uh, there's some things that I struggle with, which we'll talk a little bit about, but there's one thing I want to mention here that I was really, really impressed with, and that's Devin Sawa. I found him to be very engaging in this thing. And an odd kind of aging but younger version of like he's got this I listen, I'm quantifying this because I think it's gonna sound crazy, but I'm really curious, Matt, of what you think. He has this presence, this Mel Gibson-esque presence, minus the racism, sexism, the anti-Semitism, <laughs> all of that stuff. But his look. He seems kind of like what Mel Gibson could have grown into if he wasn't just a complete and utter asshole. And I'm here for it, man. I'm here for the Sawa renaissance, man. I really, Matt, was impressed by him in this film. And he does have, as I said, as I said in this film, though, there's this presence about him that I found really engaging. And I want to see more work of him at this point. I'll be honest with you. I'd kind of written him off. You know, and I was really impressed with him on this. Am I going crazy? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think he's quite um, engaging for what this is. I don't, I wouldn't say it's some kind of Tatum line performance or anything like that. Not that I particularly hated him to begin with, but uh, yeah, I think he's pretty solid in this. I think uh, he gives off the right vibe. I, I was pleasantly surprised by him. I think he just, he is aged exceptionally well. I think mm. he has kind of grown into who the, this man now. At I think he's 42. And I don't know. I just want to see him in more stuff. I can't wrap my head around what the issue, what my what the affection is for it, Matt. But I'm watching this thing and I'm like, man, he's really good in this. I want to see him in more stuff. And right. I hope it comes to pass. So a couple of issues I had with the, the film, Matt, though. I think the dialogue at times is oddly choppy. Sometimes it's written well. I think it's well written. Other times it just falls into these kind of genre tropes and feels a tad lazy. Uh, I think the narrative is fairly disjointed and it's hard to follow what's happening at times. Like I think the film has no idea what its internal spatial geography is. Right. I think it's kind of hard figuring out where people are. I don't understand why Sawa's Ken has roller skates on at some point. <laughs> He's just trying to move quicker, I guess. I don't know. I think, Matt, in the end, it's a mess, but it's an enjoyable mess. And I, ha I had a reasonably good time watching th this thing. And, of course, Ivana Becquero, again, if you don't, for the uninitiated, she's Ophelia in Pan's Labyrinth. That's how much time has passed since Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> I felt so old when I saw who she was. I don't know, Matt. What do you think? I think for B-movie horror fans, it's a winner. Yeah, I think so. I agree. I think you're, again, completely right in your assessment. I mean, it is a mess in portions. Um, it is cheesy in portions. The effects don't always land. The decisions, like the story beats, like I, it just kind of seems rushed towards the end, especially. But honestly, I had fun with it. I mean, it's kind of just a a silly kind of turn your brain off and then sit back and enjoy it. Uh, you know, film, holiday, B-movie about monsters. Yeah, I'm going to give it a C plus, Matt. And I know it, I'm, I don't think that's a bad grade at all. I know it's a, I say B movie because it's a genre, but I give it yeah. a Black Friday a C plus. What about you? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a C plus two. I'm, I thought about, I was vacillating a little bit, but having oh, hearing you talk about it, I think that's the right that's the right grade. All right. Now, I'm also going to give you a Christmas treat. Oh. Uh, we haven't worked out how to do this. I think what you need to do is get your own soundboard. And I think you can get one online pretty cheaply. But I'm going to play a clip now for you. And I'll f- email it to you if you want to use it. Or we can work out some kind of signal when you want me to use it. But okay. I pulled this from Black Friday just for you. Okay. You don't know shit, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I might actually have to go buy my own uh, my own soundboard. Although that sound would be like the theme clip from from this show because I'd be, I'd just be doing it so much. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, oh, that's gonna be my Christmas gift in that. You don't know shit, Chris. <laughs> so there you go. If you've seen Black Friday, uh, it's available uh, online to stream right now via rent. And I think purchase, and I believe it's physically available. Is it? I'm not entirely sure. You can watch it online, at least. Black Friday is available. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. All right, Matt. Let's go ahead and close out the big show. You don't know shit, Chris. All right, all right, all right. We're going to go ahead and share our five favorite Spielberg films. Russians. This ain't gonna be easy. Not as easy as it used to be. Well, we've been through worse. Yeah? When? Flensburg. There was twice as many. We were younger. I still am young. We had guns. Put your hands down, will you? You're embarrassing us. Bet you 500 bucks we get out of this. Nice building, yes. Drop dead. You know, Matt, Ford was 66 when the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was released. And they're still shooting that fifth one now. Now, Spielberg is not involved. I mean, I'm sure he's producing it, but he's not directing it, I should say, right? Mm hmm. And I've been going back and forth on revisiting Crystal Skull for a while now. I'm trying to think, like, it wasn't really as bad, that bad, was it? It couldn't be as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, so for a long time there, one of the TV channels, like maybe it was the Paramount channel, like the regular Paramount channel, was playing the Indiana Jones films back to back to back to back. All four of them, like, you know, once or twice a week. And I remember coming across and watching the like maybe first third of Crystal Skull. And it's, it's not, it's not particularly good. And I, and that was even before Shia LaBeouf showed up. Oh, hmm. good Lord. But I'm a big fan of Kate Blanchett, but even these, yep. she's not very good in this. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Crystal Skull, Matt did not make my list shockingly. And Shock. I really feel, yeah, that this is going to be more a list of just what order we have our films in. I yeah, think maybe. they're, for the most part, pretty understandable. I think pretty easy to guess, though. I think there may be one in your list that's obviously not going to be in mine because I still don't mm-hmm. quite get your affection for it. Yeah. But um, we'll see. So why don't you start us off, Matt? What is your fifth favorite Steven Spielberg film? All right. So my fifth favorite film that uh, Steven Spielberg, excuse me, 
my fifth favorite Steven Spielberg film is uh, the film that I think Chris is talking about. It's Minority Report. Mm -hmm. It is a kind of retelling of one of uh, Philip K. Dick's whacked out uh, dystopian sci-fi novels where essentially Tom Cruise plays the head of a task force that has psychics who predict crime before it happens or prevents murders before they happen. And he is suddenly predicted of being one of these people that's going to commit a murder and he goes on the run. I don't know why I like this movie so much. I think it's kind of like a throwback to Steven Spielberg's like sci-fi roots. And I think it's really well done. And I think it's a lot of fun to watch. And it's, I think it's just endlessly revisitable. It's just a lot of fun to watch And you know, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise and you know, he's still crazy, but he's still pretty good in this. <laughs> I think I rewatched this two years ago. Was it a year ago? Either way. It still doesn't, I just can't connect with it. I'm not sure what my problem is with it. But uh, no, sorry about that, Matty. Not on my list. That's okay. So uh, my number five then is the World War II action drama Saving Private Ryan. Just really, Spielberg is able to, that opening, right? When they storm the beaches of Normandy is still one of the most thrilling things you'll ever see in cinema. And it's a heartwarming tale. There's adventure, thrills. It's a bit of a little propaganda piece, I think, at times for the U.S. military. But still, I think there's enough earnestness here with a stellar performance by Tom Hanks and the rest of the crew, really, the rest of the cast, that it belongs on the list. So Private Ryan's my five. Yeah, it's my four. I think there are parts of it that are kind of... uh saccharine they're a little they kind of he kind of gives into some of his worst impulses as far as the kind of tone that he's presenting but when it's on this thing is fantastic i was on the edge of my seat quite literally in those first 20 minutes when i first saw it in the in a theater and i think it's i think uh, there's more it does more right than it doesn't so i think it's it's a, a solid solid war film so yeah my number four I need to crank that up. I have that. I never, I had it on DVD, so I never had it on Blu-ray. So I bought the uh, UHD and I have yet to crank that up in my little home theater area with the surround sound speakers and everything. Man, I got to watch that opening that way. Speaking of a film, I got to do that. Another movie, Matt, I do not own outside of DVD. Jurassic Park is my number four. Okay. Spielberg's probably one of his, one of the, one of the greatest roller coaster ride movies ever made. And, uh, of course, this is the uh, adaptation of Michael Crichton's book where they genetically bring back uh, dinosaurs. And, of course, everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. I think the rest of the films, the sequels, are not very good. The third may be the best out of all of them. But, man, Jurassic Park is fantastic. And Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, all at the top of their game. Of course, they're all coming back, from what I understand, for the next film. So we'll have to see about that. But uh, four for me is Jurassic Park. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jurassic Park didn't actually make my list. Really? Um, I think it, yeah, it didn't. It's an honorable mention. I think it's one of those things where it's kind of like a Ghostbuster situation for me where I was pretty young when it came out and I've seen it so many times. Like it doesn't, it doesn't kind of hold the same thrill or allure to me. Although at the t- when it when it came out, I was blown away by it. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys cannot we cannot overstate how important like that was for like CGI and kind of the leap forward and what's available for visual effects with that film. Yeah. I haven't watched it in a very, very long time. Like I say, mm-hmm. I haven't had it on anything outside of DVD. So I'll all right. To catch up with it again. All right. So my number three is 
what a lot of people consider his one of his masterpieces, but um, it's Schindler's List, um, which is a fantastic film. It is the story of Oscar Schindler, who owns a munitions factory during Nazi Germany, and he decides to create a list of Jewish concentration camp prisoners to work in his factories and basically results in them being saved, you know, from the horrors of the gas chamber and, and things like that. The only reason it's not higher on my list is because it's such a hard watch. It's not something that I would kind of say is one of my favorite of his films because I don't have really an urge to ever revisit it, unlike the the next two on my list. Yeah, you know, it's my number three as well. Another one, too, that I had on DVD that I recently upgraded to um, UHD, and I have yet to watch it. So I feel like I need to be in the right place. You're right, it is such a powerful but difficult film to watch. That scene, I always think it's just Matt burned into my mind with Ray Fiennes with the little girl in the pink red coat there mm-hmm. while the rest of the film black and white around. It just, I get a chill just thinking about it now and I just need to, I know I have to revisit it at some point, I guess, but still Schindler's List really is, I know, I think Spielberg considers this his favorite film, right? It's the most important work mm-hmm. you think he's done. So a masterpiece and something that demands to be seen. If you haven't seen it, just prepare yourself. It's going to be a difficult experience. Number two. All right, my number two is, I think, one of two perfect films that he's made. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the one that put him on the map, and it's Jaws. That film is imminently rewatchable. It is an absolute masterclass in suspense and keeping the audience just seeing just enough to just kind of for you to fill in the blanks. Um, You know, it gets a little long on the tooth at the end, especially with the giant mechanical shark leaping out of the water. Spoiler alert, guys. But... uh, Man, it is a good, good film. It is it is fantastic. And it's one of those films that every time it comes on, if I see it, I'll just sit there and watch it. Yeah, it's my number two as well. I think you, Matt, our three through ones are going to be identical. <laughs> but Bruce the Shark, I guess having so many problems with it, forced Spielberg to come up with different ways to shoot it because it just wouldn't work half the time. And it ends up by not seeing it becomes even more suspenseful, more terrifying. Jaws, the first really big summer blockbuster movie. Terrifying then, terrifying today. Just incredible filmmaking. So that's my number two. So Matt, clearly number one then is... Well, I I want you to say it. I don't want to take your thunder since I've been taking your thunder for the last two picks. I don't mind. It's all right. But it's... I I wonder if you wouldn't go Last Crusade, would you, on me? You're going to go Raiders of the Lost Ark. A perfect film. It is. It is an absolute perfect film. Absolutely. So the first adventure of Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, as we said now a few times, an absolutely perfect film from start to finish. Thrilling, drama, adventure, thrills. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. It really hit, too, at the exact right point in my life. You know, I I believe we went to the theaters to see it. 1981, uh, Chris would have been a spry six years old watching one of the greatest films ever made, the big screen update adaptation of those classic serials from what the 40s 30s and 40s and the roller coaster ride for cinema matt raiders of the lost ark what are your thoughts yeah i mean it's i've i've gone on record saying that it is one of the perfect films or one of my perfect films and if we get around to putting our 50 best films or 50 favorite films on the website this would probably crack Definitely the top 10, maybe even the top five. Um, It is that good. Honestly, if you don't like Raiders of the Lost Ark, I have a personal problem with you because I don't understand anything that you like in your life. You're you're immediately suspect. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
Good times. Any honorable mentions for you? I'm sure there are a few. Yeah, there are a lot. Um, so Munich, I thought, is a is a good solid later Steven Spielberg entry. The Tom Cruise War of the Worlds, I think, is unfairly maligned. I think it's a it's a pretty fun sci-fi horror film. And then Last Crusade is almost as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a real return to form. It is a classic sequel. E.T. still gets me. Um, in certain yep. parts, um, so I have to include that. And Close Encounters, I thought, is uh, a pretty whacked out uh, '70s version of Steven Spielberg. That's uh, a lot of fun as well. Yeah, I would agree with all of those that Matt said. I would throw in um, Duel, his TV movie that kind of really launched his career, which is great if you haven't seen Duel. Uh, the Color Purple, Empire of the Sun. I've never seen Catch Me If You Can, Matt. I you really no, I got to catch up with that at some point. But a uh, one for me too that I've always loved um, is always okay. The uh, last film appearance by Audrey Hepburn, yeah, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, Holly Hunter about the uh, firefighters uh, in the uh, was it Northwest. One of them passes away, Dreyfus, and he comes back as a ghost to help kind of Holly Hunter's character move on with her life. A really sweet, touching film. What do you think of the last ten plus years, Matt? So if we go with Crystal Skull on. You have Adventures of Tintin, which I confess I haven't seen. Warhorse, right. Lincoln, Bridge of Spies is solid. The BFG I haven't seen. The Post, and then Ready Player One. Yeah, he hasn't produced anything that has been like up to his earlier level in a long time. I think Munich may be the last like solid film that he's made. Yeah. And it's hard to say that because literally of all those movies that I've seen, they've been enjoyable to an extent. They um, are. And I can't hate them. Um, even Ready Player One with all of its flaws is still really fun in parts, but they just don't hold a candle to any of his earlier work. Yeah. His next film is called The Fablemans. It's uh, loosely based on his childhood growing up in okay. Arizona, featuring Michelle Williams, Seth Rogen, Paul Dano, and more. So we'll have to see how that turns out. But um, we're working on that one now. What's your favorite Spielberg film? Shoot us an email. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. We would love to know. Big week next week, Matt. Big week. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be going with Spider-Man. No Way Home. Del Toro's, I believe, Nightmare Alley as well. Though who knows? Our scheduling intern was just recently fired. <laughs> and then Matt and I are going to run down our 10 most anticipated films of 2022. In the meantime, uh, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And I'll read that bad bear on the air. And I guess, Matt, that's going to be it for this week. Why don't you all take care of yourselves? We love you very much. Get that booster. See you soon. Shut the fuck up, Juicy.